1: And you're listening to The Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, as always. And like we do every single Tuesday, we're going to be breaking down the film and giving you the offensive and defensive positives and negatives. This time, we're going to be breaking down the Giants' fourth straight loss to the Detroit Lions, 31-26. to And this was a game that we were discussing that we weren't really entirely sure what the main cause was. For this loss was and after actually getting a, a look at it special teams might have played more into it than you would have expected we're going to get to that more towards the end of the episode as always we're going to kick things off with offense and the first positive Chris that we have on tap for the offense is a good day for Darius Slayton specifically him posting up defenders and catching two touchdowns two receptions
0: and 50 yards for me it was his second touchdown the Leaping one, get, snagging the ball out of the air, getting full extension. That is exactly what you want to see from a receiver in that situation. Trusting himself, trusting his hands to catch the ball way outside of his frame and really pluck it out of the air, not let it move, not try to <clears> – <throat> sorry. Yeah, not let the ball move, just the hand strength, the hand-eye coordination, looking the ball into his hands. To me, that was a really nice, almost a special catch.
1: Slayton is another promising piece for this Giants offense, and it's great to see him filling, filling in his his potential and playing up to it, what a lot of people expected him to do, which was be a big athletic receiver uh, that can move, that's got great speed, and they're using him as this red zone, back of the end zone type target that can make these, these athletic catches, those big plays, making things very, very simple for the rookie quarterback Daniel Jones as all he really has to do is throw the ball up and he'll know that Slayton will make that kind of a grab. It's also good to have that kind of height considering how much smaller the rest of the Giants receivers are. They're really in that, that six-foot range uh, with you know Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, all those guys not being very, very big. And then you have Darius Slayton who is the bigger body And doing exactly what you need him to do, which is being that post-up guy. I think another thing that needs to be talked about with this offensive performance, in just very general, is that did we finally witness what this Giants offense is supposed to look like? Over the last three games before this, we saw some pretty lackluster performances and some frequent three and outs, inability to move the ball, turnovers, and now we see a consistent day where they're able to dink and dunk and, and chunk their way down the field.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think we saw flashes of it against the Cardinals. You know, there were a couple drives where we said, you know, this is what it should look like, where they were able to hit some of those short passes over the middle, have Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley and Golden Tate break tackles, get yards after the catch and turn quick passes into long gains. We saw more than flashes of it against the Lions. Yeah. You know, Granted, the Lions are not a good defense. Their tackling was legitimately bad. But if the Giants can build on this and sustain this level and do it against better defenses, I think that's when we'll really see what this offense is supposed to look like. Of course, the trick there is building uh, building on it and doing it against good defenses.
1: There certainly was more consistency in getting the ball to playmakers, allowing them to make those plays, uh, receivers making con- contested catches, as well as Daniel Jones placing the ball well enough that those guys could make those catches. In addition to that, though, we also saw Saquon Barkley have a very good day coming out of the backfield, catching a lot of balls and uh, having a relatively – good receiver stat line despite being a running back. The other thing too is this offense would have had some more points on the board if it wasn't for a a fourth down mishap by the Giants offense that kept them from scoring a game tying touchdown. But in general though, like you said, it might not have been against the best defense it might have been against a, one of the worst defenses in the league. It still is good to see that what we are expecting them to do actually working and then being able to string consistent drives, consistent scoring drives together.
0: Yeah. And to me, one of the interesting things going forwards will be to see how opposing defenses start to play Saquon Barkley. So I think one of the main differences we saw this game that we haven't seen previously is going back to last year is that the giants actually got him out of the backfield and beyond the line of scrimmage. You know, last year, Barkley actually had more yards after the catch than he had receiving because they gave him the ball in the backfield so much. He was catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage just constantly. This game, he was catching the ball two, three, five yards past the line of scrimmage. And I think we really saw the the Lions struggle to match up on him there because they didn't really have anybody on him in tight coverage coming out of the backfield. So he was able to catch the ball in space and do some of the things we know he's capable of doing. I still don't think he's completely healthy, even with the stat line he put up. He didn't really have that same kind of spring we are used to seeing from him. But even so, 80% of Saquon Barkley is better than most running backs, and getting him in space is really the way to use him.
1: It was apparent that he was not 100% healthy just yet. His stat line was nothing spectacular on the ground, 19 carries, 64 yards, 3.4 yards per carry. It also seemed like, despite his injury still hindering him a bit, that the Lions were selling out more to stop the run. And I think that their goal coming into this game was let Daniel Jones beat us, not Saquon Barkley. And it's good to see that if a team is going to approach that, that at the very least the Giants can make them pay for deciding to do so. We now know that Daniel Jones is capable of commanding a game and almost taking over it as he had four touchdown passes, completed 68% of his throws, and also threw for 322 yards.
0: This was probably Jones' best, most well-rounded game. He didn't complete the comeback like he did against Tampa Bay, but he was able to take what the Lions defense gave him and he was able to do some do some things with it yet you know, there were still those questionable throws there's always going to be questionable throws there are questionable throws with every quarterback yeah you know, there were some throws where he was kind of being pressured he was having to move around more than I think he really wanted to and the ball came out a little bit funny but all in all and overall this was I think a good outing from Jones, he didn't let those early mishaps kind of pile up and snowball on him, which, you know, I said this in our Quick Take show, to me, even more than his stat line, the fact that he didn't let the mistakes pile up and didn't let it affect him mentally, at least that we could tell, was the biggest thing from him for this game.
1: An important performance overall for Daniel Jones. But now we're going to take a look at the negative The one sole negative that we have, and we already touched on it in the quick take show, but after getting a chance to look at the film, we have a little bit more context on it, and that is the offensive line failing horribly, not just throughout the game and early on and causing a a fumble on a backwards pass, but failing horribly when the game was on the line. At the very end of the game, there were holding penalties that slow down and shut down drives. There was a near strip sack by Trey Flowers because Nate Solder got manhandled by Trey Flowers. Luckily, Daniel Jones was able to jump on it and just continuous quarterback pressures that prevented the Giants from being able to complete a potential comeback.
0: Yeah, and there there were other instances. Uh, At the end of the game, I believe it was on the Giants' last drive, Solder got just put on roller skates by Romeo Aquara. There was another one where I believe it, <clears throat> I'm not sure who the rusher was. He got chipped by Evan Ingram and Soldier just completely took his eyes off of him and went to double team somebody with Will Hernandez and if the Lions had just a little bit more speed off the edge, a half second better forty time, Dana Jones would have been sacked close to the Giants goal line the offensive line just by the end of the game had completely broken down. And I'm concerned about the communication on that line, especially when it comes to picking up blitzes through the, up the middle through the A gaps or the B gaps. But I'm not sure what, what the scheme is for calling protections. I don't know if it was originally designed to be the quarterback's job when The quarterback was Eli Manning and it has transitioned to being the center's job with Daniel Jones back there and John Jalapio just isn't there yet. He may never be there. But the communication is kind of concerning to me. There are a few times I noticed either Solder or Remmers or both just standing around looking for work while there was a free rusher up the middle. A few times, they were really nice play designs by the Lions, but you can't have guys standing around blocking nobody while somebody else, while a rusher, isn't being blocked. It's tape the Giants have to go back to. It's, It's a problem they have to figure out.
1: We're now at the halfway point in the season, and it's finally apparent after seeing it from game in and game out that the key offensive adjustment that needs to be made is shoring up the center position and potentially adding a younger and a better tackle. When free agency comes around, when the draft comes around, uh, that really needs to be the the priority. Kevin Zeitler is obviously a a, a staying piece that should not be moved. He's been dealing with uh, shoulder injuries and playing through it. Will Hernandez, uh, another young piece that looks very, very good that is developing and getting better. But Jalapio is just not the answer at center as issues with slide protection and just general assignments uh, seems to be bogging him down. And then Nate Solder, who originally was getting beat by speed rushers, is now pretty much getting beat by everybody in important situations. And then Mike Remmers also has not been good at all this season. So there's three major spots that are, are holding down this offensive line. And if you want to have good line play, you need at least three of the guys on your line to be above average. The other two guys, you would hope them to be caught up, but they can at least, if you have more than half of them playing at a good quality level, they can at least make up for some of the mistakes of some lower quality players. It's not something you can fix in one offseason, but it definitely needs to be something that is not filled with a band-aid, but rather plugged with a major and an obvious solution.
0: Yeah, I, I think the thing with the offensive line is that you don't need to be great at every position. You know, a good offensive line, the best offensive lines, are better than the sum of their parts. You know, if you think back to when the Giants were really good on the offensive line from like 2007 to 2010, they were not great at any one position other than Chris Snee and occasionally Kareem McKenzie. The, but the unit itself just gelled so well. It was so well coached. They played so well together that they were consistently one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in the game. You don't need an offensive line like Dallas where you have first-round talents from left tackle to right tackle. Obviously, if you could get that, that would be great. But you just need good players who play well together to have a really good offensive line.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the key is fixing two of those positions with one with a veteran in free agency and then trying to draft at the other just so you have some developmental pieces to work off work off of. It it seems like for the past 10 years offensive line has been an issue and as the season comes to a close and when the offseason does approach, we will be providing some names and potential candidates for making those replacements. Hopefully, in eight weeks from now, we're not talking about the offensive line the way that we are, and maybe something does just click. Maybe something does just figure out. Maybe Nate Solder cleans some stuff up, or Mike Remmers cleans some stuff up. It, it just, something needs to be done because it, it ends up hindering the Giants offense week in and week out. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, and, we, and when we transition to the defense, we're going to take a very short commercial break. Learn more at marines.com. All right, now on to defense, which at times has not been the best side of the ball for the Giants. It was not in a horribly egregious day because they did have some bright spots but still killed on the deep ball like we talked about in the Quick Take Show. First positive that we have for the defense is that the run defense in the pass rush had a pretty good day, an overall above-average performance, but most specifically, Dalvin Tomlinson was a guy that, that really stood out to Chris and I. Just taking a look at the numbers, though, they allowed 59 yards rushing on the ground. Now, understandably, they didn't have on Johnson, but still good to see that they were able to essentially eliminate the run game from impacting the Lions' productivity on offense. And they also had four sacks and five quarterback hits, which we spoke of during the quick-take show.
0: Yeah, you know, I I took a moment in the quick take show to give a shout out to Dalvin Tomlinson just based on my initial perceptions of his game, getting back and really watching the game a second time. He was, I think, by far the Giants' best defensive player. You know, you mentioned how few rushing yards the Lions had. One thing I noticed consistently was when they were having those two and three yard runs or no gain. It was because Dalvin Tomlinson was in the middle of that defense. He was just consistently more than Frank Ragnow could handle. And Ragnow is one of the better centers in the league. He is really good. But between Tomlinson's hand usage, his leverage, his power, he was getting pushed back consistently. And then Tomlinson had had one of those four sacks on really an impressive move for a nose tackle. It would have been an impressive move move for an edge player. The fact that Tomlinson is as big and generally not considered an athlete, that was to me an impressive sack. So, yeah, you know, I, I just want to take take another moment to recognize how good he was against the Lions.
1: It, Tomlinson continues to get better, and there's never really a day that where you think that like, wow, Tomlinson was the main reason why this defense played poorly. Instead, it's always when you don't notice it and eventually when you go back and look that you're thinking to yourself, Tomlinson is a real force on this defensive line. And I don't think enough attention is really given to this defensive line in general just because of how young it is and especially because the the secondary and some of the linebackers tend to leave them hanging out to dry when they have good days. I I think within next season, once this, this, this defense figures itself out and, and cleans up the obvious glaring holes within the lineup and it starts to get more consistent, this defensive line could be one of the better ones in the league considering the talent that they have across the board, not just talking about the the D linemen with the guys with their hands in the dirt, but also the edge rushers that the Giants have been able to develop and acquire and put together now with Marcus Golden and Lorenzo Carter making a lot of plays. But – all goes back to Dalvin Tomlinson being that young guy that is essentially right now leading the way for them.
0: Right now, uh, Tomlinson is in his third year. He will be eligible to be extended after this season. That's a conversation I think the Giants need to start having now. At the very latest, start having it during their bye week. The nose tackle position doesn't get a lot of love. Yeah, I think we might be a little bit weird in the fact that we're constantly talking up nose tackles and special teams, but it's a good kind of weird. I really do hope the Giants don't let Tomlinson get away. I'm really
1: hoping that they are smart about his contract negotiation, and I'm hoping that they acknowledge, and I can guarantee Tomlinson in sitting down in these contract negotiations is probably going to be saying the same exact thing, is that he's not really just a nose tackle because he is able to do more than just stop the run. He's able to create um, quarterback pressures, and maybe he's not making contact with the quarterback, but still drawing that much attention with, with that much strength and power from a center. And sometimes if he continues to get better, he could be drawing double teams. Stuff like that is so impactful for a defense because it just frees up the rest of your playmaker's and you could argue that he's been able to free up some other guys to tee off and make plays on opposing quarterbacks. So hopefully the Giants are willing to recognize that he's not just a nose tackle, but he's also a multi-dimensional guy. I'm really hoping they don't mishandle the contract negotiation with him like they did with Landon Collins. It's going to be something that you and I are both going to be crossing our fingers on um, and hoping they handle it properly.
0: If they can manage to extend him after the season, he'll definitely, definitely be cheaper and more affordable than if they wait until he's actually a free agent and try to negotiate then. But he wasn't the only upside that we noticed.
1: The other upside that we had, the other positive that we had is, and I I was kind of sh- not shocked when I was writing this down because I knew going into it and I was like, that's pretty important to acknowledge that the Giants won the turnover margin. This is something that has not happened for a long time this season because Uh, Daniel Jones was having issues, there were fumbles, there were were interceptions, and obviously the Giants have the most turnovers uh, compared to any other team in the NFL, but they only had the one because of a mishap by the offensive line, and they were able to force two, an interception from Janoris Jenkins and then a fumble recovery for the Giants' defense. So that's great to see. That's winning football right there, winning the turnover margin and taking advantage of opportunities to take the ball away and put your offense in a chance
0: to score. Brian Billick, the former Ravens coach, he, he likes to talk about the uh, toxic differential, or toxics ratio. I'm not not sure exactly which which phrasing he uses, but basically, it's the turnover differential and the big play differential. Yeah, you know, If you are winning the turnover battle and creating more big plays than you give up, odds are you are going to win that game. Now, things get a little more... A little more murky if you're not winning both of those which was what happened for the giants this game but for them winning the turnover battle is kind of huge just thinking back on it the only game i can remember where they didn't lose the turnover battle was week one against the cowboys when i believe they didn't have neither team had a turnover so that that one was zero zero
1: hey, it's another positive step in the right direction, and hopefully they can force some more turnovers because it has been some a relative of amount of scarcity for the Giants as they're not really hitting over two or around two turnovers per game uh, consistently. So now, like every loss, we have to acknowledge the negatives, and the first one being another thing that we continue to talk about, which was DeAndre Baker's performance. Now, we always have to preface this by saying we understand he's a rookie, but it's week 8 right or it's past week 8 right now and some of the same things aren't really clicking for him and he continues to be a liability. I'm hoping something crazy happens over the offseason or the final few weeks where he starts to get better. But right now it's not 100% hot for him. There there were multiple instances where he was the reason for a big player a touchdown. Uh the, the two that really come to mind that that made me not very happy about his performance was the Kenny Galladay touchdown he gave up in the end zone where he was bodied by him, who obviously is a bigger receiver, but he plucked the thing out of the air as as Baker was trying to swipe at it and was not even in any close attempt to actually being able to knock the ball out of his hands. And then the other one was something that might have gone unnoticed, but Ty Johnson ran up into the offensive line of the Lions because the Giants did a great job of clogging every single alley. Ty Johnson then bounces it outside, and all DeAndre Baker has to do is fill and come downhill and keep him from getting outside because he's really the only level of contain there. There was nobody else to the outside besides him. All he had to do was fill, make that play. It would have been a two-yard gain, one-yard gain. Maybe even stopped him at the line of scrimmage, but his pursuit angle was so horrible. He attacked the inside shoulder, which is something you can't do when you have no outside help, and then allowed Ty Johnson, who is about a four-three speed guy, to beat him to the edge, get a ten-yard gain. So more and more rookie mistakes for DeAndre Baker. Something really does need to click.
0: Yeah, and then more and more. And I don't mean to just be piling on the piling on the rookie, but the Lions first offensive touchdown the 49 yard pass to Marvin Hall I'm not sure what was going on there but it looked like Baker should have picked Hall up in coverage but instead just peeled off to go against the route running up the middle which was already covered and that just left Michael Thomas to try to chase him down and it didn't work even with Hall slowing up a little bit to catch the ball. Thomas just was un- was not able to keep up with him and make the tackle. So just some things Baker really does need to clean up and I think also communication issues especially in zone coverage that the Giants secondary needs to clean up. They do have to place zone coverage at least some of the time. They're are blitz schemes, which do work, and they like the front seven do execute well, but they require zone coverage, and that is really the weakness, really the glaring weakness of the Giants' secondary.
1: Yeah, that certainly is a, a glaring weakness. And then another thing that we were speaking about before the show was Grant Haley being very, very weak in coverage. Now he he's very good. Um, as a run defender and and making plays in that sense. But he was a liability on some plays, not exactly the best coverage guy. And you even hinted at saying that maybe they're they're transitioning the wrong corner to safety and that maybe he should potentially be playing safety.
0: Grant Haley almost plays like a linebacker in a cornerback's body. He is a really good tackler for a defensive back and you know tackling's something of a lost art nowadays anyway he is great coming downhill he fills well he's got good gap discipline but in coverage he just really kind of he gets turned around he struggles to keep up you know, Danny Amendola has abused a lot of corners in coverage but the Lions were able to go to him consistently to keep their drives alive, keep the chains moving when the Giants would get them into really advantageous advantageous positions. You know, certain, just downs and distances where they could tee off on Stafford. But Stafford would be able to find Amendola in space, and a lot of the time it was supposed to be Grant Haley in coverage, and he would be two or three yards away.
1: The final negative we had for this defense was something that we spoke of during the Quick Take show, and we also have spoken of in in various weeks. And it was just getting beat on the deep ball in a number of plays where they were set to get off the field on third and long, and they were able to get a first down. Uh, As much as we can continue to pick this apart, I think one other thing that needs to be spoken on it is that the Giants are 2-6 and right now. And I, I think it's really the time to start working in these younger guys that haven't been getting onto the field much. I really don't think that this Giants team is going to be making the playoffs because they're 2-6 and at the midway point. It would be an incredible turnaround if they were able to pull that off. Um, Something needs to be done as far as seeing what these young guys can do, being able to evaluate them, and also allowing them to develop. So getting Corey Ballantyne some more snaps, getting Julian Love some some, some more snaps. I'm crossing my fingers and absolutely praying that Sam Beal will be healthy because I want to see him play. I want to see what he can go out there and do um, against co- starter quality players because maybe he would be an upgrade over Grant Haley um, coming in and playing corner. So there's just a lot of pieces that haven't been able to really touch the field that I think if they were given the chance to, they might surprise us and also make us feel a little bit better about the future because right now the team right now is not what's going to help build continuous success. It's the young guys that need to grow, need to improve,
0: that need to develop. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Julian Love actually got a lot of work on defense compared to usual. He got two whole snaps. So, yeah, I am, at this point, I don't know why you wouldn't have him out there. Maybe use him in nickel or dime sit yeah, nickel or dime packages. And if you don't want to take uh Antoine Bethea off the field, maybe move Bethea down to a strong safety position, which was where he played for Arizona last year and had a good year. Yeah. I don't think he has the the wheels and the range anymore to be a free safety. Even in, like, uh, cover two, playing half the field, he just struggles to get himself into position. E- even though he knows where to be, he just can't get there anymore. So there would probably, probably be more bumps in the road with a rookie free safety who has never played free safety. But at least get him out there, get him some experience, find out what he's got. Same with The same with Sam Beal. He looked promising on tape in college, but we st- we haven't seen anything from him yet because of injury. So it's not his play that has kept him off the field. But once he is able and eligible to be activated, get him on the field, see what the kid has. Really, the, the Giants have put themselves in the position uh, again where they could use the second half of the season kind of as – an extended preseason for the next year. And nobody wants to see this, but that's just kind of where they are.
1: Let's also be realistic here for a second that this Giants defense is consistently getting toasted by opposing offenses. They're giving up egregious numbers. Their secondary is getting beat for over 300 yards a game. If you're a fantasy owner, you're definitely starting a quarterback that's facing the Giants defense because you can expect them to have a good day. There's not much you know, worse you can get than what they're already doing. It's not like this defense is like some mid-tier defense and that you're afraid to take those, those starters out because that's what's keeping them in games. Like That's what the, essentially is more so in line with the, Bronco, the Denver Broncos. But this team has not been good on defense. Their secondary is allowing a lot of yardage to opposing teams. There's not much further downhill you can go. Get the younger guys in. If they struggle, at least let them learn. Veteran players going out there and having you know having problems and having issues and not performing as well as they should be doesn't do anything for this team. Younger players improving and, and getting better and learning is what's going to make this team better and what's going to make this roster better. Something that might, might be a part of that might also be trying to move Janoris Jenkins to a team that is very desperate for a cornerback because there's only so much time left on his contract you might as well try and get as much draft capital as possible or if you could get a young player for him too, get whatever you can from for Janoris Jenkins because the the youth of this team is is very much the future
0: the Giants do have a few players where they could say you know what can we get for you there isn't much depth behind Nate Solder but it's pretty clear at this point that he is not a long-term answer for them just between his age and his play he is going to have to be upgraded and probably better to have that done sooner rather than later alec ogletree i think same position he is on a terrible contract his play does not meet his pay janoris jenkins he's padding the stat line with with the interception so that's great maybe that can entice a team to give up some draft capital for him Maybe the Kansas City Chiefs reunite him with Steve Spagnolo, something like that. Hopefully the Giants could get resources to continue to build this roster and even if it does mean sacrificing another year with the trade deadline
1: slowly approaching, make sure you're you're looking out for us to put out any content regarding any moves. So the minute anything happens, we'll try to make sure we supply some reaction to it and and so that, you understand the significance of the move as well. We're going to have to see what ends up happening this week because that's essentially where most of the moves are going to be going down. The final thing that we want to talk about, as I alluded to in the beginning of the show, is that special teams might have been the reason why this game was caused by the Giants. And there's two specific things that might have led to this loss. And the first one being a missed PAT attempt by Aldrich Rosas, which went a little bit wide left, and that forced the Giants to have to go for two, and they did not end up completing that, that attempted pass to Darius Slayton. That caused them to have to play perfectly, and it also put them in a very tough spot. And then the other thing that I, I almost didn't even remember yesterday until I went back and watched it was that a running into the kicker right before halftime after stopping the Lions offense with about a minute left – Gave the Lions an offensive possession back, and then allowed Matt Prater to make up for a missed field goal. That that gave them a free three points. If it wasn't for that specific play and also the extra point, it would have been a twenty-eight twenty-eight ball game. Towards the end of the game, maybe this thing goes to our overtime. Maybe some different things happen. Obviously, you know you can only sit here and evaluate like, oh, if this happened and if this happened, and say like what could have happened in the game. But just speaking from special teams awareness and knowing what you need to be doing you can't allow those types of things to keep you out of a ball game you can't allow them to to hurt you from winning a game
0: no and that's the reason why we pretty routinely talk about special teams they are important there are hidden yards hidden points that can really make or break a game for a team And, you know, I have to give the Academy Award to Lions punter Sam Martin for his performance on that running into the kicker penalty. Because he was just, his foot was just barely grazed. And he, I I think he just tripped. But he made the, he sold it well. He, as he went down, he made the move to kind of grab at his knee. And the ref almost didn't have a choice but to throw the flag. So, you know, I, I know as, As a long snapper, if you could get, if you could get that free first down with the good acting job from your kicker, you'd take it every single time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would. I've also managed to uh, this season pick up a couple first downs from drawing opposing teams off sides just from holding the ball. I take uh, that's the one thing I can kind of take some pride in. It is very nice getting those first downs, though. It really does put a little bit of fire underneath your team, getting the ball back because the opposing team made such a big mistake. But as you said, though, that the special teams is a third of the game. It's it's far more important than I think a lot of average fans want to give attention to. We're going to keep talking about it if it ends up being something that does affect the game and the outcome. But it's one of those things where we're only going to be talking about it if something really, really bad happens or if something really, really big happens. It just so happens this week that it was something really, really bad happened after multiple weeks where special teams was a strength for this giants team the the last thing i just want to say is that uh, it's starting to really be more noticeable to me and i i kept kind of uh, seeing this this happen during the game where i just like like oh that doesn't seem like that's very good and now we're at past week eight and now i can confidently approach this better is that the the kick return game is horrendous right now they're averaging 20.5 yards per kick in this last game with Darius Slayton returning and then also Cody Latimer getting one, uh, that really has more of a negative impact on a game than you would expect. You're losing essentially five yards if he catches the thing on the one yard line, or if he catches it in the back of the in in midway through the end zone, he's only getting up to the 15 yard line. Y- you need some type of dynamic play on those kick returns, and it was talked about so much in the beginning of the season how good the like this arsenal of kick returners were, and the um, Special teams coach kept saying that we have so many different guys that we're going to use, but none of them are making plays. It it seems like now we don't have Corey Coleman and we can't pick up any extra yards. Maybe they need to go out and and pick up a guy that is solely a special teams player and a kick and a punt returner because the guys that have other roles with this team are just not getting
0: the job done. No, and that's a problem that has really stretched back to last year. You know, if you remember last offseason, last last training camp, the Giants were bringing in new return men almost on a daily basis. They just could not find anybody who could consistently return punts and kicks until they got Corey Coleman. You know, he was. He actually proved to be an asset as a kick returner and one of the better, more dangerous ones in the league – but then he got hurt and they didn't have anybody else. You know I don't believe Slayton has ever been a returner or at least not a consistent returner. You know maybe he's got maybe he got one or two in games for Auburn, but he's fast, but he doesn't seem to have that just knack and vision for spotting and setting up blocks to really make use of that speed. Corey Ballantyne seems to have some some ability there, but he's dealing with a concussion, so he will be, he will be back in his own time, and don't, nobody should be pushing or rushing him back. But the Giants do need something there. It's almost like their offense is playing under the old kick return rules, and the opposing offense is playing under the new ones. And over time that difference in yard is adds up.
1: I'm really not a fan of Slayton as a returner, especially because I'm not a fan of using taller guys as returners. I think when you, when you have a kick returner, you want somebody that's not just fast. Slayton is really mostly straight line speed. His short area quickness is not that comparable to a high level kick returner. I'd rather have somebody that's smaller, compact that is shiftier, more quicker than fast that can make a couple guys miss. And then, fall forward for a couple extra yards I've seen multiple good kick returners at the college level and also at the pro level and I can very well indicate that Darius Slayton is not even close to the level of what you would want from a good kick returner great receiver great young receiver just a mismanagement of uh, of depth and talent when trying to get him to return kicks That's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in, as as always. But be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Follow us on Twitter, at BigBlueView. Also follow Chris and I, at Joe DeLeon, D-E-L-E-O-N-E. And at Raptor, M-K-I-I. Finally, follow us on Instagram, at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Have a wonderful rest of your day, folks.